It's time for part two, Prohibition Boogaloo. It's time to talk about how Prohibition became the law of the land and how it made us all criminals. Don't worry about a password for this speakeasy. Just come in and have a drink before the revenuers catch us. Welcome to Have a Drink, the show where you learn along with us about the glorious drink called beer. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. Who gets a standing belly clap for that intro read? <laughs> right? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> That's the best intro we've had. Like, perfect read, Casey. Amazing. Excellent. It was well written. <laughs> uh, no, no. It was garbage, and you elevated it. Okay, yeah, we are, we're a couple hours into this recording session. Um, the fine folks at home don't know that. <laughs> don't bring attention to the reduction side. <laughs> a little time travel Zom- happening. <laughs> Zombie marriage is always my go-to. Oh, it should be everybody's go-to. So, um, what did everyone do over the break? <laughs> had a smoke, had a pee. <laughs> ready for act three. Two, sir. Two. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't stop spam a lot. It was, <laughs> it was there, and I'm on. I'm about to start beer three. Oh wow, jumping ahead of me a little bit, but I, I'm hitting some high uh, ABVs, so I'm trying to keep it keep it down. Yeah, no, mine aren't quite as high. Okay, um, well, I guess we'll go ahead and start rolling into this and do some announcements. Yeah, if uh, <laughs> you guys are going to be at Nerdtacular 2017 oh, in Salt Lake City. Uh, obviously Utah, uh, be sure to hit us up by email or social media or however you want to get in touch with us, carrier pigeon, uh, yeah. you know, smoke signal. I don't know if I can translate that, but I'll give it a shot. Um, We're willing we'll to be try. there. We don't know the exact plans yet. We're still trying to figure everything out, but uh, we'll be there. Meet up with us. We'll have fun. Uh, we're also going to uh, create a roving band to hit the streets of uh, Utah after the convention is done. We'll be there an extra extra day, right? Yeah, to so that Sunday. Yep. Yes, that uh, uh, Sunday. What is it? July second. Yes. Uh, if you are in or near or can make it to Salt Lake City, Utah, July second, uh, hit us up, and we are going to be hitting everywhere in town that we can. Anything ex- that's open because it's yeah. Salt Lake City. <laughs> it is Salt Lake City on a Sunday, and although- you. In- Uinta will Although, be closed on Sunday. We're hitting them up as soon as we get off the plane Thursday. on Thursday. Yeah. We are heading straight over there for a couple pints before we go back up the mountain. I, I have I have a thing I saw. You guys may have shown it to me. I don't remember. We'll talk about it when we get to news. <laughs> Just a quick little little thing. But remind when, me about Utah. 
Okay. When okay. we are in Utah, um, we are going to probably try to put together some little uh, beer tasting or some sort of event. Uh, we don't know exactly what it's going to be, but um, definitely come and check us out and, and hang out with us for that. Yeah, details to follow. <laughs> Um, yeah. Also, we wanted to remind everybody, our next video episode is going to be... Um... It's going to be the Victory Brewing Sampler Pack yes. on uh, May 7th on Diamond Club TV. Yes. Uh, that's going to be at 6 p.m. Eastern time. So, um, and then uh, you Only can always... time zone that matters. <laughs> to us, yes. <laughs> and, and you can check out the homepage of the website, uh, haveadrinkshow.com, and that's going to show you um, all of our upcoming show episodes in addition to events that we will be attending. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's the only way I can keep track anymore. I Yeah, that it was I, kind of almost for us and less for everyone else, but it just works out. We're trying to maintain the calendar and like the, the website and make sure every everybody's updated at all times. So it's it's been handy so so far. So with our like rotating weeks we and what we schedule. do. Yeah, it is we really it's hard for us to keep up with it. It's only the most there, dedicated people can actually keep up with it. There and, usually comes a very panicked conversation on Fridays. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> right. what are we doing? Oh, God, is this a video? Is this audio or video? Now, the pack you already have in your refrigerator. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, basically. We're all fine. I'm glad we're in audio right now because I look like hot hell. So <laughs> it's good you don't get to see me. Us, like the apartment. Um, <laughs> it's been a weekend. Oh, really? You're not slowly melting into your into the background? Uh, into the okay, hot hell was the wrong, wrong descriptor. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I still have no AC, uh, but yeah, definitely check out the homepage for that stuff. Um, we have added a couple of, um, sort of localized events, Ohio, Kentucky sort of stuff. Uh, but then we also of course have nerdtacular on there. So, um, and then that will be, uh, the event itself on our website will be, um, updated once we have some more details on everything. Yeah. All right. I think think announcements. Are we ready to hit some news? I think Casey's got some news for us. Oh, Casey. Uh. All right. First up, let's go into a little bit on the the government side of uh, alcohol and, and the beer industry. In an article from Kira News, TA, or TABC on hot seat over trips and spending controversies. Uh, this has been popping up not only on beer websites, but just across uh, across the nation on different forms and boards. The Tel- Texas Alcohol Beverage Commission um, had to answer some questions from the House Committee on General Investigating Ethics this past week. Well, actually a couple weeks ago um, when some of their spending may not have been up to par. Uh, for more than three hours this Thursday, the top Texas Alcohol Beverage Commission officials were grilled by House members for misusing state resources, taking trips to Hawaii on taxpayers' dimes, mixing vacation with state duties, misreporting who had been assigned which state-owned vehicle, and cozying up to the very industry they're supposed to be regulating. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so... All those are very ethical ethical problems. I will say mixing vacation with state duties. If you if your state duties do happen to take you to Hawaii, why not after you're done start your vacation? I, yeah. As long as the tax, as long as well, okay. The key point there is you pay for your own trip out there, and then you do work. That would be my well. well point. You're coming if you're going out there for work. I could see it as you know that's when you're like, I'll just stay. Like, yeah, I don't see an issue with that part of it, but well, if, when you're usually, out there, usually the way it goes is you would you would figure out what the exact 
cost of the plane ticket would be for you to go out there um, on on just business and whatever that plane ticket price would be. Um, you would then log that into like your your uh, mileage, your travel yeah, expense. That would be what they would reimburse, and then if it cost extra, you would have to. The key is uh, from reading this article that wasn't necessarily a conference that they necessarily needed to be taking themselves to. Mm. Uh, it was a conference ah. about like the re the, the enforcement side yeah. of and how to like better check IDs basically in bars. And these are the people that are supposed to be doing the law side of it, not actually out there enforcing. They're not law enforcement officers. They're actually uh, in the in the you know pushing papers side of it. So that was, that was a little bit <laughs> iffy, you know. I, I feel like that was an, an additional trip that oh, if I take this trip, they can pay for it. Yeah. Um, and then no, I'm not the, saying they didn't do anything. I'm not saying they oh, were yeah. right. I'm just yeah. saying like I could see a circumstance where you go, maybe this this is okay. <laughs> and you know they were they were probably using these these state vehicles uh, inappropriately. Uh, they may have been. I won't say probably. They may have been using these state vehicles inappropriately. But it was hard to tell because the books only showed a vehicle that was like almost I don't know nearing ten years old um, and hadn't been used in the past two vehicles. Like it had been gone for, and they haven't done this in the past two vehicles. So okay, that could I be. I'm looking through. I'm looking through the article, and it has like Director Sherry Cook under fire for taking trips to swanky report, uh, re- swanky resorts on states' times. Did not give a time frame for her departure from the National Conference state uh, liquor regulations. Yeah, that's where you get into trouble. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's where. Yeah, that's that's where things uh, kind of went off the rails. Uh-huh. Um, they she down on below Davis. Uh, goes down through here, which is one of the Sarah Davis, a representative from uh, West University Place in Texas, um, who chairs the House Committee (laughs) (laughs) chairs the committee on this investigating and ethics, um, says that she was keeping wildly inaccurate data on the state provided vehicles. And also, she says, we know, as admitted, we have 69 days of state employees traveling to exotic locations, all paid for by the taxpayer. So I'm sure they could have probably picked a, a very much closer and less expensive location, but uh, I understand it's hard to pass up. If, if there's a conference in Hawaii, uh, hard to pass that up. But interesting on that end. Yeah, Yeah. no, and like, yeah, they probably should be getting in, into trouble. But um, <laughs> I will say that, uh, it, well, I don't know. Like in my head, I'm like, I mean... I can understand trying to write off business expenses. Not that I ever do. Mm-hmm. I have no business expenses. I travel two minutes to work. Lucky you. Um, <laughs> well, you said lucky, right? I, I, I'm hoping for our explicit label. You said lucky, right? Yes. I did. <laughs> okay. Uh, for for on my end, I you know I travel quite a bit, and the way it usually works is if I was planning on you know if we were to go to Utah and I was able to uh, put together and needed to go already to a trip out there uh, to do something during you know even if it wasn't the same exact time that we would be going, but if I still needed to be there for something, I would go ahead and probably expense that trip using the same guidelines as earlier. Whatever the the cheapest plane ticket would be, I would just add on. I would pay the difference in that and go there or i would pay going and the company could pay the the leaving or whatever it would be um pay half each and go that way hmm. okay real quick in between your your stories casey there was the thing i was that i got excited about that i remembered yes did 
I, I don't recall. So correct me if we've talked about this in the show before, and maybe that's where I heard it. Um, did we talk about the possibility of Utah re- re- uh, removing the 3.2% beer? Oh, they I did think- it. Yeah. Didn't they? Did we? Because I, I was like looking back through show things. I was like, I don't see it here, but. I, I, it sounds so oh, no, familiar. No, no, no. Was, I think we did. They dropped the blood alcohol level lower. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> That's it's, what it's, it's basically, yeah. Well, what it was was that one of the states, one of the other states that, that had the 3.2% is getting rid of it. Is getting rid of it. Yeah. And mm. that means like basically Utah is all that's left. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and so how long do you think Utah will hold on? And I'm like, man, if you guys get rid of that law starting, uh, starting a uh, uh, what? When's your nerdtacular? I always forget. Oh, oh yeah, June 29th. Oh. Yeah, around know. June 29th. I don't think June... we'll get anything enacted that quickly. Can we have a goal no. for end of June? Usually, please? it goes in like the next year. Um, yeah. And you know, Utah's 3.2 beer. We talk about this a little bit, but the 3.2 beer is what can be sold in grocery and convenience stores. And what can be sold on draft? So that's your that's your two, and it's by weight, so it's technically four four percent ABV. It's three point two percent ABW, but four percent ABV. Right. Um, although at the at the altitudes we typically are when we're in Utah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah, why not? Whatever. Every little really, bit will help. So doesn't Kay- take as much. And Casey hasn't even been to. Well, you've been to Salt Lake City, but Snowbird yeah. is a different thing entirely when you're just Snowbird like, so we're a, just going to keep a, going up, guys. Up. <laughs> yeah. 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 Snowbird's like, exactly. okay, you're already really high. Let's go and get you another 4,000 feet up the mountain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You basically double it or come close to doubling it. Yeah. Because uh, let's, let's, let's not take backpacks full of beer when we go hiking up the mountain. Oh, God, no. no. Yeah. When, <laughs> we're not even that dumb. I went to Utah this last go around, I stepped off the plane and was just walking up the little tiny ramp from the plane up to the, the gate. And I was out of breath, and I was like, "Why can I not walk here?" You can it feel it. Oxygen. <laughs> it yeah. was the lack of oxygen. It took me, it took me probably a full day, day and a half for my rapid breathing to slow down a little bit. Also, we are profoundly lazy. And- <laughs> well, that, we're all a little. Out, I mean, except for Chris, but we're all a little out of shape. Oh. I'm, I'm going to start working on it. I, I just need that push to get started. No, I yeah. would. No, I'm right there. I, I would I suggest it before. Like at least yeah. a couple of weeks before we leave, you need to get out and yeah. get cardio. some walking in, get I'm some hoping, cardio. I'm hoping like this week is the week that I like starting Monday. I'm like, all right, let's start start getting back into shape. And, and we're going to heed Veronica Belmont's advice in no, staying hydrated. No, no. no you can stay no. hydrated. I'm fine with that. But we're just booze. you're just going to require you to drink before you talk to your heroes. Yes. Yeah. I may have to anyway. <laughs> have a little little pint in our pockets. Note that I had a full bottle of the polygamy porter before we ever spoke to Veronica Belmont. Belmont can uh, publicly really shame us. Her publicly shaming me. Oh, not public, but her shaming me and Chris for trying to get her. To, no, she pub- she shamed us in front of all of Nerdtacular. I still keep well, hoping that, like, if I'm everyone that could within hearing distance of a non-miked Veronica Belmont. Yeah, well, it was. I think it was Veronica, and like Jerry was nearby, and Tom. But like, yeah. and then I think Tom may have been on the same lines, but yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, it was fun. Though. I'm still, I still keep hoping that, you know, I'll actually get me pregnant finally by the time, by that time. So the alcohol won't be an issue anyway. I'll just be like about some water. No pressure. Yeah. And in that situation, we're going to put your name on the, uh, on the rental car. So that <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, designated Brittany. That's yeah. true. Yeah, we're That's probably we're for also the best. going to have like. A small cup with just a Britney written on it, and we'll all take turns drinking for you. Yes. <laughs> Thanks. All right. <laughs> Little for your homies. 
Uh, I think we had another little story, didn't we, Casey? Yeah, we did. So moving on to some of the more current news, to something that maybe news, you know, 50 years ago. Just an interesting... Uh, it's interesting. Yeah. Scientists once nuked beers to see if they'd still be drinkable <laughs> after an atomic blast. The important yeah, sure. questions. I mean, because science. <laughs> the nukes were already happening. You got to see what's going to work. That's why Indiana Jones was in that refrigerator. He had to get the beer. Yeah. That'd be his what, what, what movie was that? Crystal Skull. Uh, Crystal Skull? There's only three Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> what is oh, that one? Oh, yeah, I like yeah, this approach. <laughs> So from 1945 to the late 1960s, the U.S. government, of course, carried out several above-ground nuclear bomb tests in the Nevada desert. One series in 1955 called Operation Teapot detonated 14 (laughs) nuclear bombs to test (laughs) nuclear weapon designs in effect. As part of one of these... As part of these these works, it may have been during all of them, researchers set out a bunch of cans and bottles of sodas and beers to see how they'd fare. The experiment resulted in a 1957 study titled The Effect of Nuclear Explosions on Commercially Packaged Beverages. <laughs> I want to be a scientist. I, these are the studies I, I would do. I, I hate to say it, it's like, I'm a trained scientist. Not really this kind of science, though. <laughs> In 1956, the Atomic Energy Commission uh, exploded two bombs, one with an energy release equivalent to 20 kilotons and the other a 30 kiloton at the test site. Bottles and cans were carefully placed at various distances from ground zero. Closest were less than a quarter mile, basically 1,056 feet away from the blast. I'm trying to think how far the shockwave of a nuclear device goes out, (laughs) and I'm wondering how many of those were just destroyed. So you're looking a light damage zone is about uh, for the 10 kiloton. You're looking at about ten, uh, three miles radius. So three miles from the center out. Um, yeah, and these then, were 20 to 30. <laughs> yeah, and then you've got fallout that goes goes 10 miles easy um, from there. Severe damage is within about a mile, but yeah, being a mile, half a mile, somewhere in there. Uh, being that you've got a two to three times the size plus a um, plus you're putting them so close. Maybe if you were further away, um, you've got a lot. Uh, some fallout comes from the bomb material itself, but like soil, sand, rocks, wood, other debris gets sucked into it. also gets incinerated and irritated uh, into the fallout and that's carried away. But what they found um, is if you're betting on an unfortunate turn of events in the near future, make sure you, you stock your pepper bunker with uh, other long-lasting food and beverages. Canned beer probably would survive if it was far enough away and you could wash off the radiation. Once again, cans. Superior method of storing beer. <laughs> yes. Let's in no light or radiation, as it turns out. They, they even tasted the beverages, it looks like, except those nearest the blast. And yeah, said, well, yeah, 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 I wouldn't. Probably <laughs> that would <laughs> not have been me. If I counter over a can of beer and it reacted, I'd go, like, um, nope. Yeah. The best part of this is like the, um, they've got a video on oh, this link that's like the slow motion of how, what the explosion would have looked like. <laughs> that's here's, both amazing and terrifying. Here's yeah. another question for you, though. If you drank one of those super close beers, would you get beer based superpowers? Mm. <laughs> would you become a hop man? I'd be disappointed if you didn't. Well, okay, now what would hop man? I mean, if you were in a if you were in a uh, in a Stan Lee comic circa nineteen sixty whatever, 
Yeah, no, totally. But yeah, that's how you would get it. But what what are Hot Man's powers? Oh, Hot Man. Very, he's very bitter with everyone. Man, I'm already Hot Man. Um, <laughs> Does he have like some kind of alternate Jesus power where he turns water into Imperial IPA? <laughs> no. No, he just makes whatever you're drinking just a little bit more bitter. That's Yeast Man. <laughs> Maybe man. Um, it makes yeast it makes everything turns, turns water into beer. It gives everything uh, a citrus flavor. Ye- Sorry, Brittany. No, it, it gives everything a citrus flavor. Depending on the depending hot. on he can de- he can create and cr- and and produce his own different flavors of hops. Oh. Are there different? Oh. Are there different hop mans? He's di- multidimensional. Like there no, are no, several no. different there's, ones. There's for, but there's for... but one hop man, but he can create all of the different strains of hops. He has a range. See, I was thinking there's a different hop man for every hop variety. No, because so you have like a dank. No, we, don't have, we don't have the hop man core. That is, uh, he's yeah, not a superhero. Very hop man. No, we, it needs to be a core. That way, there is like a the four twenty hop man. Yes, there's like a four twenty hop man who makes all beers extremely dank. I've seen like I'm seeing like a Justice League esque <laughs> superhero art thing, and like each of them has a different, like the Mosaic Man and Azaka Man, and <laughs> this is this no this is this is the the different colors of the Green Lantern spectrum where you have the, <laughs> the yellow lanterns the you know you have like from from re, you know uh, red lantern to to in, you know indigo lanterns. Yeah. And they all have the same basic costume, just different colored and different hops. That's what this is. Yeah, that's with exactly a different hop insignia in the middle. That's that's the, the the thing going here. Why can't one of us draw? Is the important question right now. <laughs> if one of you can draw, because none of us have talent. If one of oh you can gosh. draw or Photoshop, just go grab a I Green Lantern so core cover and make this happen. We need Instead to get a hold of. of- Instead of the lantern insignia, it just needs to be like a hop. I want the, I want I want to get a hold of Carter Johnson right now. <laughs> this would be great for her. Uh, okay. I would I would like to see that. Yeah. Also, um, with uh, with Yeastman, just just a side <laughs> note on that end. Really hard for him to get a second date. <laughs> oh yeah. Ouch. Oh god. <laughs> That's that's a truth. That, that's true, though. That's, that's truth. Barley man's powers. <laughs> oh, barley man is is yeast is yeast man's uh, sidekick, uh, Vagisil boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. oh, barley man is also um uh he's got the the Thor problem where people think he's a god, so he's also the god of agriculture. <laughs> what if he has like a uh. uh... Uh, some sort of like farm implement, and it's like ye who is worthy may wield the power of barley man. Oh, he is a scythe. He is definitely a scythe. Scythe. A scythe or a till. Yeah, I'm just I didn't want to say scythe because it reminds you too much of the Grim Reaper. Yeah, you say like a till, like an old one, or it doesn't remind me of the Grim Reaper because I picture him as as like with flowing gold hair or something. Like very much a Thor kind of character. He rides an ox with a till. The only person that had a had a scythe in their garage growing up. Uh, maybe. Oh. I don't even think mom okay. and dad have a scythe now, and they even have like a garden. <laughs> no, no, like there was one in in our garage. I don't exactly know why. My first job was using a scythe, so that was. <laughs> what well, we? My family comes from a lawnmower sales background, <laughs> so we never had to use scythes. It's okay. I worked. I worked for a my contractor thought, my under the is table. Perhaps dad got it. For when his like weed eater broke and he needed to go 
you know, go eighteen some... sixties on, on that grass. <laughs> probably so you don't know the grass work. problem we had on our. <laughs> no, on our hills. I, I can imagine it because that's. Because... I worked for a friend of ours, Dad, who you all know. We're not going to name names, and yes. he was a rather cheap uh, general contractor and used me for like favors to help clear fields. And a lot of these fields would be so overgrown that a weed eater couldn't handle it. <laughs> that also may have been why, because like again, half of my my family's property was like almost a ninety degree angle. It's like a minimum <laughs> like you know sixty degree angle up. It's like oh <laughs> crap. Which, yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> there are videos out there of like the weed eater versus the uh, the scythe, and you know it's kind of a Paul Bunyan. Is it Paul Bunyan? No, Paul Bunyan. You're uh, thinking of John Henry. John Henry. Oh. Yeah, John Henry. The, the, yeah. He was a steel-driving man. <laughs> yes, he was. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, the, the scythe does win out in some of those competitions. Yeah. <laughs> I have to look this up. Okay. All right. Uh, while you're looking it up, uh, is that going to wrap up news? Yeah, yeah I okay. think so. I think we got to well, for this week. We don't yeah. have any untapped. Um but we are—we don't have a sounder for this, I don't think, unless Brittany wants to surprise us with something. Talk about uh, a few new beers oh, that I wanted to work know, in. Uh, we don't, but what do I have that'll work for that? Because these are, I've always, it's always, like, all the time, like, we have to work in some kind of new beer segment. You know what? Here, just whatever. Mm, I love scotch. <laughs> I love scotch. Scotch has got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. <laughs> it works. All right, uh, a couple new beers. These are just things that I would always appreciate if someone called to my attention, some things I need to be looking for on the shelf. So I thought I would actually be the one to bring it to everybody's attention. Um, so the first one I wanted to bring up is we have a collaboration from The Brewery and Funky Buddha. Yeah. So these are two that it's awesome they're coming together. And on this one, it sounds absolutely amazing. Uh, it's called Pink Snow. Imperial cream ale brewed with lactose with guava, dragon fruit, coconut, and vanilla added. I'm on board. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, this collaborative brew with our Floridian friends is a tropical treat, transporting us to a cooler mindset when temperatures start to warm on our respective coasts. So, yeah, this is like an east-west coast collaboration thing that's going on. And I love it. It sounds amazing, and I'm hoping we can find it. Right I now. like this time of year with all the tropical kind of deals that are coming out for beer. Um, I'm getting more into that, especially with um, it, you'd think that you're expecting just like a random fruit beer, but at the same time, I think people are getting a little more creative with like IPAs and things like that, or or like the wheat ales, and they're experimenting with other tropical flavors. I love it. Like it's starting to. It was like eighty degrees here the other day. That would have been great. <laughs> yeah, um, it looks like the brewery's taking lead on this. The label is one of their labels. Um, and let's see. Yeah, uh, slated for seven fifty milliliter bottles. So that's the format that the brewery exclusively releases in. So it'll be. You'll probably get it in any distribution area that the brewery is available in, which we are luckily in that area. Uh, the style's an imperial cream ale, obviously, uh, with guava, guava, dragon fruit, coconut, vanilla beans, and lactose. Oh, I just melt reading it. <laughs> um, the date is to be announced. It's going to be 7.5% ABV. That one, amazing. Um, we've also got something 
Well, a couple things from founders. I think, you now we already talked about in a video episode. Uh, go back and check out the video episodes available on YouTube. I will use the link on the website. Uh, founders Doom will be the next release in their Barrel Age series, and that sounds great. Uh, Imperial IPA aged in bourbon barrels. What was it called? Uh, Doom. 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 Yeah, <laughs> but no. Uh, founders also announced this one, which it's just—they're just like eff it, put it in a barrel. <laughs> barrel aged malt liquor from Founders. It's going to be DKML. It's coming out this July. I'm I'm waiting for their barrel aged pilsner. Uh, the <laughs> the label reads: "Kicks you where you most expect it." <laughs> Imperial malt liquor aged in bourbon barrels. What is going on at Founders? I Wonderful thing. They're doing drunk. They're, they're <laughs> doing the Lord's work. Yeah, doing the Lord's work over at Founders. That's I, I stick with that. Everything they've done is gold, and it will always be gold. Mm. <laughs> uh, Hot on the Hills of KBS will be a new style for the Grand Rapids, Michigan-based brewery, a malt liquor. Founders is brewing with a huge hit. Of corn, which will help boast uh, the final alcohol by volume and give this beer a sweet, smooth finish. Founders DKML is not only dry hopped, but aged in bourbon barrels. Founders DKML DKML will be available in 12-ounce bottles and 750-milliliter bottles and drafts starting July 2017. Style is an American strong ale uh, barrel aged uh, in bourbon barrels. And debut date, it just says July 2017, ABV, question mark, question mark. <laughs> Can we get uh, Billy D. Williams to uh, market these? Billy D. That would be Billy amazing. D. It might be good timing, honestly. <laughs> and one more quick one before we move off of this, because I've been, I think it's been like three weeks I've been trying to get this one in there. Uh, new Belgium is releasing a new version of Fat Tire. From them. They did the Fat Tire and Friends, which was other breweries doing their version, like their take on Fat Tire. But now Fat we're. Tire and Friends. <laughs> yeah, but now they're actually coming out with their own, and it's going to be a Belgian white. And I really like that they're going to expand on uh, Fat Tire. It needs to be. I mean, it's a fantastic beer, but they need to keep innovating, moving it forward, keeping it in. Yeah. In everybody's eye, like don't forget about these core beers that made yeah. craft brewing what it is. They are still fantastic. They need to do that with that and Blue Paddle, honestly. Oh, Blue so, Paddle, so good. I don't know if this is actually going to happen or not, but there was some. If I can find some fat tire when we're out at uh, Nerdtacular, I was talking with Casey about like we need to make dinner one time if we've got like the the whole setup like oh, we yeah. did last time. Mm. I was like, I need to make some like beer mashed potatoes is what I need to make. That would and be good for like with a with a stout glaze on it. Oh my god! I'll right? start experimenting on meatloafs like right now. You know who right? ruins it is like um when we had that that chicken or the chicken that well the chicken pizza at Mad Tree, with mm-hmm. and they use their happy amber ale to make the barbecue sauce. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was smart. Like stuff like that, it adds so much to the flavor. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that would be a good idea for like that Thursday or even that Friday night at Nerdacular. Mm-hmm. Because oh, yeah. resort place food is expensive. Oh my god! We learned that. Yeah. Yes, we. No, oh, no. we know. We know where we'll find. We'll find you where you can eat safely. Yeah, yeah we know Snowbird, where to go and where not to go. We made the mistakes last time, so there we, there are some great places that keep your budget down. Because don't go to the steakhouse. Oh, the crowd of people. 
Yeah. That being said, we do. I still really want to go to In and Out Burger, <laughs> which oh, is yeah. not oh, a yeah. snow burger. Well, well, when we talk about cheap food, that's definitely a place, and true. it's not that's too true. far away from the road from the airport up to. Oh, okay. Um, Sweet. Yeah, that works the out. Place, so, yeah, really, really nice little neck of the woods, right, right through there. All um, right. Um, uh, before we completely get off topic, uh, Fat Tire White Ale, a new addition to to the brewery's Fat Tire family, debuts in August. We got a little bit of time on this one. Uh, later this summer, ordering a fat tire won't be limiting you limiting your choices to just the iconic amber ale. For the first time in 25 years, New Belgium is putting a true Belgian-style white ale into full-scale production. The authentic white ale will feature... What is that? Seville? Mm, Seville yeah. orange peel? And coriander from Fort Collins, Colorado-based Old Town Spice Shop. Mm. Less than a minute from the brewery. I didn't see that when we were over there. It's like, why didn't we go there? How did we miss that when we were there? Uh, New Belgium so, selected, huh? Well, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt oh, no, you. No. Seville oranges are the same thing as a bitter orange or a marmalade orange. Ooh. Oh. oh, that sounds fantastic. That's fine. Uh, they use these thanks to their uh, brighter aroma and less cloying sweetness. That'll be fantastic. Uh, New Belgium Fat Tire White Ale will be available in 12-ounce bottles, 12-ounce cans, and drafts starting August 1st. It's a white ale with orange peel and coriander. Uh, debut August 1st, 5.2% ABV. That's a, That sounds like another big winner. I'm excited for all mm-hmm. three of these. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I want that in my belly already. Right now. Okay, uh, okay, I think we've been beating around the bush, and you all are actually here for a real reason. So I, down the Adolphus bush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, I think we're going to move on back into Prohibition, part two. Looking for a little slab of pickle. <laughs> things, things are going that way. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, so last we left off, uh, we were just talking about the, the different groups that were pushing for Prohibition. Well, it's time to talk about how how they came to be. First off, little disclaimer, like we did in the last episode, um, we are going to uh, we're going to try to be historically accurate, but I can't say that we're going to be unbiased. Mm-hmm. We like to drink, so you know, th- there's that to to what we're what we're talking about today. Also, occasionally there are going to be terms that are appropriate for the period, but are offensive today. We are going to try to present it as accurately as possible. Please understand it's the views of the time, not us. Yeah, and we most are, things have quotes around them. You can kind of tell. We are using yeah. period quotes. We are not putting words in anyone's mouth, so we did not alter them. Yeah. So, moving on. Let's start with uh, how did all of the different groups, uh, you know, the suffragists, the KKK, the... Yeah. And others, how did they all get to, you know, and the progressives, like, you know, how did they get together, uh, get a prohibition movement into the U.S. Constitution? Mostly by chipping away at the public perception bit by bit. Uh, nothing the brewers and the distillers did seemed to stop them in the long run. Uh, perhaps they would have been more effective had they been working together and not trying to shift blame from one to the other. Uh the United States Brewers Association said hard liquor caused domestic misery, pauperism, disease, and crime, uh, while bread, uh, while beer was, quote, liquid bread. I mean, uh, the distillers weren't much better. 
they could they would only pull together during the most dire of circumstances and by that point it was too little too late uh despite all the politicians they paid off and all the good press they tried to buy uh nothing seemed able to deter the likes of the asl uh that said, there is a myth propagated by uh, brewers at the time and somewhat today that uh, World War I had something to do with prohibition. Uh, and according to many brewers, millions of young American men that had been, uh, had been away from home, unable to vote against the piece of legislation, uh, and that was the main cause. Uh, well, that's debatable. Uh, it certainly didn't make things any easier. Uh, what also didn't make things easier was the inherent Germanness of beer to Americans. Uh, Many of the largest brewers, especially Anheuser-Busch, were German immigrants or of German descent. And people naturally would be more, uh, people who would seem, uh, who seem to them as naturally more sympathetic uh, to the country the U.S. had just declared war against. Uh, Woodrow Wilson would not have publicly said that, but he had been launching a campaign against, quote, anti-hyphenism specifically set out to demonize those Americans who were born under other flags but welcomed under our generous naturalization laws to the full freedom and opportunity of America Hmm. German or Irish Americans were uh, out as uh, were out as far as concerned Uh, we were as far as he was concerned all were Americans and had better start acting like one big country of shared values while we fought people in war. Uh, even, hmm? You better. Even if it's a country that someone had been living in only a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Some, there was uh... a lot of, there was a lot of propaganda thrown at Anheuser-Busch about their German ties. Right. A and lot admittedly, of these, admittedly, Kaiser Wilhelm and uh, one of the Bush sons were actually like they knew each other. They were kind of close. <laughs> oh, jeez! A lot of these same issues seem to be ringing true again nowadays. Yeah, especially you know, Anheuser Bush. Those to... who don't know history are doomed to yeah. fail the class and take it over again. I mean... <laughs> exactly. Are you sure that wasn't about calculus, <laughs> math classes? Because that was me. Hmm. Uh, the I will say that the beginning of the 18th Amendment started back in uh, 1914 with a proposed amendment to the Constitution called the Hobson Amendment. It's named for a soldier turned self-promoting author turned a politician named Richmond Hobson. It was sort of a warm-up for the 18th Amendment. Uh, he was a war hero from the Spanish-American War uh, with an archaic, even for the time, style of speech. Uh, uh, not quite thee and thou, but <laughs> if you listen to how he writes, you go, oh, or you read how he writes, you go, oh, that's, no that's one talked like that even then. <laughs> like, he would have been better set in, like, you know, writing those, those, dear Virginia, the front is very <laughs> My dearest um, Margaret, I write to you. Dear, dear Martha. <laughs> I'm telling you, dear. still listen to the core podcast for Heroes of the Storm. It's so they have the best examples of the dear Martha letters. <laughs> uh, he stuck a stra- he struck a strange figure in the House of Representatives, especially for a Democrat from Alabama. Uh, he supported the end of the electoral college, uh, 
a federal income tax and women's suffrage. Hmm. So, you know, there were good things about them. Yay. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> I think that is probably the, the key to all politics through all of history. Um, Sans Hitler, or maybe <laughs> Sans Hitler, <laughs> Sans Hitler um, every politician, no matter how vilified they are, probably did have some good attributes. Hitler uh, painted wonderful okay. landscapes. <laughs> and, and, and what you get is the politicians on the other side and whoever wins the war are the ones who vilify the other person and, and uh, deify the, I guess that would be a, probably the appropriate word, the person that wins it. So, also Stalin. I can't think of many redeeming facts to Stalin. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Pol Pot, not a lot of good there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so war criminals are out. But, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Yes. War criminals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, let's see. Uh, it was uh, his stance on race, actually, that got him into trouble. Uh, he made some remarks in reference to the Brownsville affair. Anyone know what I'm talking about when I say that? No clue. Um, yes and no. I feel like I know the words. <laughs> Those are definitely Those words. words. Well, like I, 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 it sounds familiar, but I can't tell you what it is. I so will admit immediately. Short I have no version idea. is that uh, a couple of white soldiers were found dead, shot, and killed uh, in Texas. Uh, okay. Like on American soil. And the closest place nearby uh, was a. Uh, all well, I don't even say it was the closest, but there was an all-black regiment stationed somewhere mm. uh, because segregation in the army was still a thing. And uh, basically, they got blamed, and Theodore Roosevelt just was like, "Yeah, sure, okay, they can get dishonorably discharged." Mm. Uh, they were not that. That was not changed until Richard Nixon, oddly enough, was Weird. the one that uh, changed the record to so, show that they had an honorable discharge. Whoa, you know? whoa! Nixon did that. Nixon. Did that? Told you. We vilify him, <laughs> and then he does some good things. <laughs> no, Nixon. There's no vilifying him. He vilified himself pretty well. <laughs> he did. He didn't he need records. someone else to step in and do that. Uh, I'm just saying he's the one that signed the bill. Whether he, he okayed the thing, I don't know whether he's the one that suggested. Like again, the Nixon thing, as we talked about in the last episode. So many parallels for the marijuana thing. Because <laughs> like, Nixon plays a huge role there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, be- because of that affair, which is in the historical le- legacy of Theodore Roosevelt, a big black eye on his part. Mm. Um, he uh, hops and raises some eyebrows, uh, especially in Alabama, speaking in his defense. He said they were unjustly disgraced. Uh, they said that... Uh, Speaking in the defense of the unjustly disgraced American African American soldiers, he said, "I saw black men carry off flags in Santiago, Santiago Hill. I saw them in vanilla. I've seen them in vanilla. Black men took my father wounded from the field of Chancellorville." And uh, he also said, "We are standing here on the field of eternal justice, where all men are the same." That did not go over well in 1909, Alabama. Oh, yeah, Fair enough. I can see yeah. that. Wow, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, my. I mean, oh, nice quote, though. Basically, yeah, like, it's, it's it, yeah, not saying he was 100% great on race relations, but militarily, a, he was like, they were they are fine men, and you should treat them as such. Yeah, everybody shut up. At the time, <laughs> that took balls. Yeah. No, good, yeah. Um, uh, good job. So, he tried running he was for drunk. a... 
well, or he was drunk. Uh, <laughs> he did try running for a Senate seat that opened up, uh, and he was beaten badly <laughs> during the primary. Mm. Oh. Um, oh. Yeah. Again, history with that time period. Yeah. Yeah. His, his opponent drug up those comments, and uh, basically an amendment that he had left... Uh, on the floor of the house, just gonna no one was gonna touch it for a little while until uh, Wayne B. Wheeler stepped in to give it a little extra push. Ooh, yeah, that's <laughs> that was just like DOA for him. I mean, yeah, um, basically he went out and decided that he had nothing left to lose, <laughs> and was like, "All right, screw it." And then found out, indeed, he had something to lose. No, 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 no. I don't mean about the... the oh. they, they did... Friends of his at the time of the Brownsville Affair said, do not say this. This is suicide. And he's like, oh, I'm going to do it. <laughs> uh, now, his uh, Hobson Amendment bill, uh, no one wanted to touch that afterwards. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in 1914, Hobson's Amendment made it to the House floor, and he eventually got to speak giving a somewhat modified version of his Alcohol the Great Destroyer speech he had perfected over the years in the house. He yeah, this guy was like yeah, this guy was one of the 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 driest of the dries that was in so that was in the house. I feel like he was not quite the speaker. Who was it that did uh Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? Oh no, he is uh <laughs> that's like that is John, not a dry it's John, Edward, it's John Edwards and yeah. it's a Puritan pastor back in um seventeen something or other. Yeah, I feel like he's, or eighteen. It's he's, during the first Great Awakening. Yeah, he's a, he's like the opposite of that. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to read that that speech. I was I was required text. to in, in high school. I was forced to recite it for the whole oh. whole class because our teacher, our English teacher Loved my voice. I I, I'm, I sound like Gomer Pyle. I don't understand. It. I don't sound like Gomer Pyle, but that's but not. My dad works in radio, and I think she had a crush on him. But either way, she was like, "No, are you good to recite this for everyone?" And I'm like, "Sure, why not?" And then afterwards, I'm like, "That is very well put together." I was like, "No, if you want to know what good public speaking is, go read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Like it is." the passion that comes across in that. But I feel like yeah. he's the exact opposite of that. That's the point I was, well, I was no, getting at. He was, he was an okay speaker. He had spent a lot of time uh, after, after his time in the, the uh, Spanish, Spanish American war, like promoting himself. And he had given this speech a number of times about the evils of alcohol. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of nasty sections in there that kind of undo all the good racial feelings. We just, <laughs> heaped on him but uh those warm fuzzy feelings kind of melt away when he gets talking about how we, we you know drunk black men are mm. doing awful things again and, the weed parallel being like the fact that it was tacked on with being like oh the mexicans smoke yeah. it and yeah parallels so. are never ending uh he ended the speech by saying in the name of your manhood in the name of your patriotism in the name of all that is held dear by good men, in the name of your fireside, in the name of our institutions, in the name of our country, in the name of our humanity and humanity's God, I call you to join hands and with me and each... Oh, God, this is really... Yeah, this writing. This, <laughs> I is, call... this is his thing. Yeah, this is his, like, the weird, no one talked this way even then. <laughs> 
exactly. I call on you to join hands with me and each one do his full duty. The Speaker of the House called him a lunatic. <laughs> not not at that exact day, but yeah. Yeah, no, he was like, no, this guy's insane. <laughs> the vote eventually failed, but it only failed because it didn't make the two-thirds majority. 197, 4, and 190 against. Wow, that was close. Yeah, like you're like, oh, yeah, that's not getting anywhere near there. The majority of the House voted for. Holy crap. Crap. <laughs> ASL took it as a win. It seemed the tides of opinion were changing. It wasn't an easy thing, but ASL-backed congressmen managed to push for the uh, Shepard Amendment of 1917. They were were reworded some of the Hobson Amendment to, in some ways, make it more palatable for both houses of Congress and to give the law a broader purview. Now the amendment would read... And as we read the amendment, uh, section one, after one year from the ratification of this article, the manufacture, sale, or transportation of intoxicating liquors within within the importation, therefore into, wait, I'm getting a head shaken at me. Sorry. <laughs> I, I was like, it, am I just like, thereof, transportation of, in, of intoxicating yeah. liquors within. The importation there, therefore, into therefore or in- the exportation, therefore, <laughs> uh, thereof from the United States and all territory subject to the jurisdiction thereof for beverage purpose uh, is hereby prohibited. Jesus, I hate legalese. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Stop me if, if this is further down in the text, Bob, and I'm, I'm rushing into this. But okay. I think when we stop on, let's talk about section one and talk about what's not in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, this does not prevent you from owning intoxicating liquors or that, drinking. That is, that is correct. Now, uh, manufacture, sale, importation, yeah. So some people, like uh, a certain Joe Kennedy, <laughs> had a very large liquor cabinet. When we say uh, large. <laughs> okay, first of all, <laughs> Joe Kennedy was not was not a uh, uh, was not in uh, the bootlegging trade. Hmm. It's not a, not how he made money. Now he did profit, knowing that some of these actions were about to happen. But so the he also was also was already wealthy, and rich people had really large liquor collections. And since they was already theirs, they could drink it. Yep. Yes. Uh, the day before, uh, do, do you mention down in there that how the day before prohibition went into effect, you had liquor stores basically selling out their entire stock? Mm, I don't mention that, but there's another interesting thing that happens right when uh, the day after it, or the day of it coming into effect. Yeah. yeah. So they, they liquor stores would basically say every bottle a dollar the day before uh, it went into effect. And so you just would go by and, and grab whatever you needed because they couldn't sell it the next day. They knew it. So liquidation. Just, yeah, they they'd liquidate yeah. the assets. But you wouldn't get in trouble for it. So. Right. Yeah. No, that's um, – I mean that's – it was fully within the law, and I don't blame anyone for doing that because if you, your whole business had been based on that, you've just got to push it out, make what money you can to try and set yourself up elsewhere. Yeah. The second. Was... Oh, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. Well, I was going to say the second part of the section one that that it specifically does not, or that it specifically goes into, is that for beverage purposes, is is specifically with alcohol and things, and mm. uh, was allowed. 
Right. Wood alcohol so, and also medicinal alcohol. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get into that later. Okay, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so section two. Uh, the Congress and the several states shall... Like this, they just say the several states. <laughs> at shall, this point, only 48. Yeah. yeah. We weren't at our complete... What are, what are we at now? 51, 52? 50. 50? We haven't added we have, states. We, oh, we just have uh, the... The, the 1950s. I, I forget about, or whatever. I forget about the territories. We have territories, but they yeah, aren't Puerto states. Rico. Yeah. Go watch Hamilton. <laughs> we're not allowed to make a uh, we're not allowed to make a a official stance on whether Puerto Rico could become a state or not. Not us as a podcast. I mean, us as a country. Yeah, no, as a <laughs> podcast. Uh, the Congress and, and the several states shall have concurrent power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. This is where they decided. Look, we're not going to sweat the details right now. We'll make a law for that in a minute. Yeah, it's it's kind of like you know what. Until we can come up with something better, states do whatever you need to do. Hmm. Do well, what basically like right after this, they they drafted something, and it was called the Volstead Act. Yeah, which we which are we get into, yeah. we're about to get yeah. into. Uh, section three: the article shall be inoperative unless it shall be unless it shall have been ratified as an amendment to the Constitution by the legislatures of the several states, as provided in the Constitution, within seven years. From the date of the submission herefore herefore of to the states by the Congress. Uh, so that seven years is a new new thing. Like I mean, not new for that, but new for ratification. Uh, they actually gave them a little bit extra time to get something ratified. Um, get all the states on board. Yeah, they didn't need it. <laughs> <laughs> like the, within the same year, that thing got uh, that thing got ratified. <laughs> Wow. This was the or language. Maybe it was like the next year, but still, like it was. Yeah, that's quick. still kind of absurd. Uh, this was the language that would eventually get past two thirds of both houses of Congress and get ratified by two thirds of the states before becoming the 18th Amendment to the United States Constitution, largely in thanks to the efforts of Wayne Wheeler and his associates. What a jerk. For the record, that's that's. I always got confused as a kid trying to figure out how it was that an, a, a you know something became an amendment, and I thought it was like one or the other. No, it's both. Yeah, this this is part of a period of this is the most amendments during this period were passed uh, during the short period of time. Uh, the 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 second uh, this is the second most the the outside of the Bill of Rights because you had the sixteenth, seventeenth, eighteenth, and nineteenth. Uh, amendments just coming in like rapid fire and then mm. i think i was like the 20th and 21st just a few years later some somehow i feel and this is a little off topic but somehow i feel that with everything that we're giving in this podcast with everything that we've got put down here this will be quoted in some high school history papers a few years down the road somebody yeah. some somebody will be looking up a uh, <laughs> i've got this history paper to write over prohibition oh here's a podcast about it let me just go ahead and listen to that and and <laughs> I will never be a scholarly source. So I'll tell you. That. Awesome. I feel like we'll we'll be in the uh, the citation pages of some high school uh, papers here soon. Hey, how do you c- how do you cite a podcast? I guess you have to use the website. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The website. Yeah. Website. The, the, the RSS the, the RSS link probably that exists. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the amendment itself does not explain how the law would be enforced. So the Volstead Act, which we kind of briefly mentioned before, um, or officially the National Prohibition Act. Was this is where we get into like my 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 thing of uh, 
we colloquially call it the Volstead Act. It's the National Prohibition Act, like how it's the uh, National Health Care Act, not not Obamacare. Obamacare. Right, right. Um, so the bill was vetoed by President Woodrow Wilson, largely on technical grounds because it was also because it also covered wartime prohibition. But his veto was overridden by the House on the same day, October twenty seventh, nineteen nineteen, and by the Senate one day later. The three distinct purposes of the act were, one, to prohibit intoxicating beverages, two, to regulate the manufacture, sale, or transport of intoxicating liquor, but not consumption, and three, is to ensure an ample supply of alcohol and promote its use in scientific research and in the development of fuel, dye, and other lawful industries and practices, such as religious rituals, Catholics. Um, (laughs) Uh, No, also Jews. Oh, and Jew- okay, or yeah. Jewish people and, and, and other uh, other places do have, have. My first thought is like the, the communion you sort of thing. The Eucharist, Catholic, yeah. Yeah. The Eucharist thing. Um, with the, one, one of the keys in there that I don't necessarily know, and, and maybe you know the answer to this, but it also covered wartime prohibition. Was there. They, they were. They were. Uh, they were. He was going to like affect the, the rationing issues that they were having mm, for. Okay what they were doing for the because this okay. was this was still technically during the uh it was like nearing the end but it was during uh world war one so you could give you could still give alcohol to uh, a, a member of armed forces as their ration is that what his his i think they got rid of they got rid of the the alcohol ration oh, already okay. by this point um but no like just the general rationing uh that happens uh it's interesting that Woodrow Wilson is like, no, have veto that. And then the same day, the House comes back and goes, don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is, like, politically speaking, that is a huge deal. Right. Like, that is like a body blow to well, uh, to a presidency. And showing that the president isn't king, you know, it, it's... It is. There's it is. a check and balance saying, system. Like, it... it it you know it diminishes the yeah. the power of the presidency right and so in fairness not long after this wilson will have a stroke and his <laughs> wife will be running the country without people realizing it fair enough um yeah so once prohibition went into effect countless americans became criminals overnight the same night as prohibition's enactment agents from the bureau of internal revenue apprehended two truckloads of whiskey departing a warehouse in Peoria, Illinois, quote, stolen. It appeared by officials of the distillery that had produced it. Um, It was the first recorded arrest made under prohibition laws. On the same day. Yeah. That that night, yeah. That's some shady crap. (laughs) They've been watching before. This is is just the beginning of the shady crap that you're about to see uh the first of many such arrests <laughs> but people were determined to get around this law it turns out uh the religious rituals part yeah part of the volstead act was an interesting loophole for abuse some people merely profited from it by becoming the main vineyards for a number of churches and synagogues in some cases a number a number of rabbis quote started bring started springing up and handing out sacramental wine i like to imagine uh, Mel Brooks and Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yes, <laughs> yes. Like we've got, you know what? Never mind. There's trees. There are rocks. There's boys. 
Bless them all until they get fresh knuckled. <laughs> you, must, you must give your 50 cent donation to the church in order to get your glass of sacramental wine. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, meanwhile, in Canada, uh, some Jewish Meanwhile, bro- <laughs> in Canada. <laughs> some Jewish brothers were not even pretending to be rabbis to sell their, their wares. Samuel Bronf- Bronfman had gotten his start skirting the letter of the law in Canada's own province-based liquor laws. It was legal for him to ship between provinces, even if it was illegal to sell it there. The coming of U.S. prohibition on alcohol saw a golden opportunity um, fall into his family's collective lap. Having gotten into the hotel business to begin selling liquor, Bronfman started looking for a chance to make his own. Eventually went on a sightseeing tour, which led him to Louisville, Kentucky, and the Greenbrier Distillery. He bought it, dismantled it, shipped it to Canada. Meanwhile, he began to plan with the English company Distillers Company, uh, Distillers Company Limited, the name of the company, so he could set up a distribution platform on his side of the pond for their well-regarded liquors. He began selling his own cheap whiskey and called his company Distillers Corporation Limited. And began okay. shipping Let's things. Point out, I just want to point out, it's like, oh, yeah, no. Th- this is not liquor coming from the DCL. This is beer, liquor coming from the DCL. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because they were not in the same uh, uh, what, trademark laws, I guess, would be what would apply. Yeah, well, and also he just changed one part of the name. And... Because he's it's not the company. Corporation. The corporation. Oh, corporation versus company. I did not even see that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. And... Basically acted as their their proxy. Uh, the, the the main book I did a lot of the res- this research from uh, is uh, called La- the Last Call, and they talk about the uh, English gin and uh, whiskey producers as basically a cartel. Oh yeah, <laughs> and yeah, essentially at the time, that's exactly what it was. There, yeah. There's no beating around the bush. They were a cartel. <laughs> no, no, like even like <clears throat> even in their their quote legal practices, they are a cartel. Yeah. Can you though, like, just imagine the the cartoonized version of the English cartel? <laughs> well, uh, have his uh, have his head chopped off and then bring me some tea. Oh yes, Reginald. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. Uh, so he began shipping things to Mexico, quote, or somewhere else. You know, whatever. Um, <laughs> Conveniently, some cases went missing, and he ended up with some extra money during his, the shipment. He was never charged with a crime and skirted Canadian and American in somewhat impressive fashion. Law, sorry, law in that word. Um, either way, uh, also his family um, bought the Joseph E. Seagram and Sons Company in 1928 as prohibition was beginning to wane. Which... His family still runs it today. Oh crap! Yeah, Seagrams. Yeah. Is Seagram's okay? If you guys want to come up, we can go over there one day. They are in That's Indiana. True. Uh, so there's a there's a fantastic quote in this. I couldn't figure out how to work into the actual thing, but I knew I could say it. Uh, his son Edgar uh, Bronfman Bronfman uh, took over the company, and they were interviewing about his father's past, and they were very coy about some of his legal legality of some of the stuff he did, but. Uh, when they mentioned, like, someone sold you Seagram's in 1928, and he just, like, yeah, they asked why someone would do that in 1928. He just answered, Goyim, <laughs> which is uh, 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 Yiddish for uh, 
non-Jew. <laughs> oh my! Yeah. Oh. Wow. Uh, so Seagram's odd- is within spitting distance of us, like seriously within twenty minutes drive. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, one of the one of the distilleries. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually it is- the facility where they pr- most of the is it non-rye or rye? I can't rye is specific to they produce. Like so mass quantity. Is, is it rye in is weird because yes. if it's in Canada, uh, rye has a different meaning than it does in America. Hmm. Mm. It's one of the, like, a lot of the well whiskeys and well bourbons, a lot of them are actually produced at this facility. And is yeah. it in Indiana? Yeah. Uh, yes, Lawrenceburg. Also, yes. I wonder- so what, what that is, is a company that's actually called uh, Midwest Grain Products. The yes. distillery up there, they produce. If if you've got, they've got a few like straight rye. Um, they've got a, a, some like rye recipes that even the big names, not even not even like the little one, um, the the big names that are out there like selling heavy. So you're looking at like Bullet, yeah, George Dickel, um, High West, uh, Redemption Rye, Templeton Rye. Those are all produced right there in in that facility and because their their rye production is second to none um they also have seagram seven uh, which is a straight right. straight blended whiskey but the the seagram's group purchased that in 1933 yeah it's uh, an impressive facility and that's what i love about lawrenceburg you drive through it and you just smell the rye coming off of i also that. want to point out that the uh the english company that he was acting as the middleman for for distribution uh, the Distillers Company Limited had bought brands like uh, uh, they were one of like basically the five families of uh, of distilling. Like they had Dewar's, Johnny Walker. Hmm. Uh, wow, I'm trying to remember some of the other. They had they had a number of well known uh, uh, distillers under their belt at that point. Jeez, yeah, Johnny Walker. Sorry that that was my nickname in college, uh, a <laughs> professor. Because my last name's Walker. He at the right, time not he didn't re- your, not because of your love of scotch. He did not know my affinity for whiskey at the time, but as he got to know me, he was like, "Wow, that nickname is really good." But he always just <laughs> called me Johnny. Like from then, and people in the class, like people are coming up to me, "Hey, Johnny," and I'm like, "It's not my name." But okay. Welcome to my world. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. It's been a long time since someone's called me that. But anyway, not. All of the crime during this era was so genteel. One of the first thoughts that come to your mind when you think of 1920s and Prohibition is an epidemic of organized crime. Prohibition opened up a whole new revenue stream to the gangsters and opportunists looking to make a lot of cash quickly. Quote, in New England, liquor came from ships anchored beyond the three-mile limit and ferried to shore by an enormous fleet of sailboats, skiffs, dinghies, rowboats, and even a few seaplanes. This was called rum row. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. While, meanwhile, Philadelphians in the Delaware Valley chemical industry would take denatured alcohol produced under government permits for industrial use, completely legal, (laughs) take it renatured, diluted, and maybe even flavored. Go figure, right? Possibly with a little bit of juniper oil, and then sold, of course. The South took their moonshining to the next level and developed regional specific styles of still. However, there's a there's a list that's way too long. There's a list of like different types of pot stills they use that's <laughs> too numerous to mention. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, talking about pot stills real quick. I don't know if you all have started seeing this given our uh, activities recreationally. Um, Facebook has started putting ads to me about recreational pot stills. 
that people <laughs> like companies are selling and I do not know how this is legal. So it's legal in the US to sell a pot still to distill water, to distill something like that. <laughs> okay. In the state of Kentucky, it is completely illegal to own a pot still. You can't even own it. Um, you can't you can't own a still. You can't own a water distillation system unless it is for uh, the purposes of like being a chemistry lab or something like that. Okay. Um, so that's the only that's the only way that you can own it. Now, other states, depending on where your ISP thinks you are and all that, they can still market to you, and you can still technically order online as long as the the revenuers don't come and knock on your door. Okay, that uh, makes sense. Our ISP is probably technically out of Ohio, and that's how I'm getting these ads. Yeah, could be because I don't know what their I don't know what their laws are in Ohio, but technically the United States has no law against owning a still. You just no matter what you can't. So this is a big big uh misunderstanding in the the world of craft beer and craft spirits no matter what as an individual you are not allowed to distill any volume whatsoever of of distilled spirits um doesn't matter if you are for personal use no doesn't matter at all and you are not allowed to do it period so okay that it's not just the fact that they are uh, judging us as Kentuckians that maybe we have a love or an affinity for certain <laughs> kinds of clear alcohol. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not unsaid. Not vodka. That's no, not potato-based. <laughs> there are plenty of Kentuckians that have uh, moonshine distills, uh, distilleries set up in their, their basements, garages, behind their house. and uh, you Three know, miles away from their house tangentially on their property hidden under camouflage or in the daniel boone national forest which is yeah. also known for other things that come from the earth it ain't just alcohol so no name high. captures the criminal side of prohibition better than alface scarf <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> alface. alface al alface. scarface capone alface Head of an organization called the Outfit. I did not know that actually. Yeah, no, his the organization, the the criminal syndicate in uh, um, in Chicago was called the Outfit. Oh, Capone ruled the liquor industry for Chicago for seven seven years during Prohibition. He claimed that all I do is satisfy public demand, which his claim that all I do is satisfy public demand rang hollow when you take into account his brutal methods for ensuring his dominance. Most famously, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre was an attempt to kill his Northside rival, George Bugs Moran. While Moran wasn't present, his men killed seven, uh, that would be Scarface's men, Al Capone's men, killed seven members of Moran's gang. Capone eventually saw his downfall, through, though he was caught and jailed for tax evasion, rather than for his other criminal charges. Yeah, that's, that's, how, yeah, that's how they ended up having to get need, him. You've got to see the movies about this stuff. Oh my god, uh, so good! My my favorite is the um, the one that's set in Atlantic City with the uh, mm. oh, what's that? Yeah, uh, the miniseries from HBO, I believe, or maybe oh, Showtime. Oh, uh, uh, Boardwalk Empire. Yes, Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, that's oh, my I favorite out of these. Boardwalk Empire that. does it spectacularly. I just want to be like, go find anything with De Niro that's like mob related, <laughs> and it always harkens back to this stuff. Because yeah, uh, oh my god, Capone See, Capone is interesting because he he captures this this larger than life 
sort of idea of, of this, this criminal. Um, and he was caught by the time he was 33. Yeah. Look at all the pictures you ever think of of Al Capone. How old does he look? He is young. <laughs> Not like that. 50 years old in some of those, it looks like. Yeah, no, he is 30. He lived a hard life, and it was because of the industry he was in. I'm also sure the syphilis. scar on his face. Yeah. Oh, my God. It also me, syphilis. Yeah, that's true. Syphilis. It makes me think of, um, God, this is horrible, the What We Do in the Shadows movie, when uh, What's-His-Face was like, uh, the, the poker one was like, um, uh, I was turned into a vampire when I was 16, and he obviously looks like he's like 45. Yeah. And um, he's like, life was really hard as a 16-year-old at the time. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? <laughs> but no, um, I'm just entranced by the stories of this. If you get a chance to look it up, I had to study it extensively in college, but uh, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, look up the photos of that, like everything oh with to do with it. It is haunting. They, they used to, to sell <laughs> bricks from that wall as like... Oh I would like have bought memorabilia, them. like bullet hole filled bricks. Oh, it is. I, this is this is horrible still. But there's there's a trade in in violent. Um, yeah, memorabilia. Yeah, memorabilia. Yeah, I saw on Reddit somebody had posted the uh, Sarnayev student ID um, from the, the mm. Boston Marathon. Uh, oh God, bombing. Oh my yeah. gosh. That's no, there was apparently. This kind of stuff, that. when I was in uh, Scotland, and since I've been contacted otherwise, uh, I was obviously shopping for a Claymore, and they're like, y- you want a Claymore that's killed somebody? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's like, what? <laughs> like You can still see brain matter. I don't know. Like that, Oh, it's so disturbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, there's a whole... I, I could literally... You can write, like, well, people have and whole books on Capone and his oh, whole, yeah. there was, whole thing. Also, when I was in Scotland, you can't get them here. Well, you probably could uh, very much more illegally. There's a massive trade for uh, Thompson submachine guns from this mm-hmm. era that is currently happening in Europe and in Britain. And you can get so, them so easy. I'm sure a lot, was, like the authentication of it is probably sketchy. But they are there are people wandering around just offering this crap up. That was so one can, of the things that... Uh, that made this period of crime so terrifying uh, was that these were a lot of a lot of these people were people who come you know, came back from the first from the Great War from World War One with military training. Plus, the Thompson submachine gun couldn't get sold to the the U.S. government as a uh, you know their their standard you know submachine gun. So they just started selling it to people. There weren't like. Assault weapon laws, which no. aren't now either. Um, so people were you like can, just buying. You can still purchase. Uh, I know. A I'm just saying, like, gun. They're about fourteen hundred bucks, but you can yeah. still get them. So yeah, like, like this and the uh, the the Browning automatic rifle, the BAR. Oh yeah, the bar. two of the two of like the center point guns, and like the cops didn't have guns like that. Oh yeah, they Those they are... were better prepared than the police were. It's why crime ran. It's one of the reasons crime ran rampant there. Little six Plus shooter revolvers the, got nothing on that. Yeah, they had the money to buy those things, though. So, like that's the Americana, like going back to that era. That's what we're known for. Extremely are the Thompson submachine gun and the BAR. Holy mm-hmm. crap! It was like Bonnie and Clyde with the BAR. Like you had a woman toting a bar. Holy crap! Yeah, the kind of uh, sexy. The, 
let's let's be those honest. in Bonnie and Clyde and like Dillinger. I always associate much more with like the 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 30s and the Depression. So Bonnie and Clyde, they seem like like heroes because they're robbing from those banks that took all of our monies. Okay, we've brought a lot of this up, and I have to be the person to do this to bring it back to Cincinnati. <laughs> Uh, the Please inventor of the Thompson submachine gun was born and lived in Southgate, Kentucky, which is on the banks of the Ohio River. And mm-hmm. there's actually an awesome nightclub down there that we've gone to a lot. It's the uh, Thompson House now. It's a pretty great place. And to add to it, my great-grandfather was shot and left for dead in a ditch in Ohio by Dillinger's gang. Oh, Jesus. He was a uh, state highwayman at the time. Oh, God. Well, that's depressing. <laughs> he so didn't die from that. He, he, it, though? he was left for dead. He did not die then. Oh. There you go. If he well, did, then I would not be here. <laughs> well, I didn't know if he had already reproduced at that point. Mm. Yeah. I do not that believe counts. he had. So the fact that he did not die from this encounter, uh, I am still here. <laughs> that's right. Uh, Hugh Dillinger. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Edit. We have to, we have to add a bleep that in that one because this one definitely needs to be uh, at a playable <laughs> at uh, you know for the normal everyday form. Yeah, sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> okay. Go ahead and write that in the let's, show notes. Yeah, so I can hear editing right now. Go ahead now. and wrap this up. <laughs> All righty, let's let's do that and let's wrap up here. So, so you can subscribe and get some great great resources at haveadrinkshow.com. Follow us at have a drink show on twitter instagram and facebook please remember to rate the show on itunes to help spread the word and if you're looking to subscribe to the youtube videos that we talk about all the time uh, you can do that by going to have a drink scrolling down to the bottom and clicking on our youtube link yes that's a good way if you want to hear us unedited uh we kind of go off the rails on those youtube videos because Diamond Club is not an edited place, and we fully embrace our Diamond Club community in that aspect. So if you want to hear us uh, include all vulgarity, that's where you need to be. Mm-hmm. See us purely unfiltered, raw, Eddie Murphy style. Um, you can also tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or leave some general feedback. Uh, just use the email address, feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. Uh, you can also use the feedback page on the website. Please, we'd love to hear from you guys. Oh, yeah. just really uh, If you want to just tell us about an awesome beer you just discovered, local breweries, let us know. That's great. We want to hear all about it, and we'd love to shout it out. If you want to just brag about a brewery, we'll shout it out for you to mm-hmm. our tens of people that listen that's that's what we're pretending right not that's, true we're in the we're in the hundreds now so. shh, 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 don't tell me that all right only, this only works if i think there's only like six people listening <laughs> we were up to and like, we know them all by name yeah i think we're up to like 500 and some it's subscribers spi- <laughs> we have violent yeah. spikes that have shot almost to a thousand so uh all joking and fun aside we'd like to remind everyone to please drink responsibly uh we love you all don't drink and drive Lyft, Uber. I mean, that's what we were doing yesterday. Mm, yes. The only reason this podcast is being done in this long session is because we're all locked in our houses and unable to leave. Not going anywhere. <laughs> and that lift yesterday was horrifying. It was in the amount of time, or just the driver? No, the in the cost. Oh. oh, it took us like fourteen bucks to get uptown to the stadium. It took us like. 40 to get back yeah holy crap no joke yeah because the game had just let out and like clifton on a saturday night is not a good thing three times pricing yeah yeah anyway (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, so um, be sure to check us out in another couple of weeks for the next audio episode. Remember, the next video episode will be this coming Sunday. Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. See you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.